0: back with episode two, Only Stew Podcast, and of course, you know our motto and our mantra, ready to roll, ready to roll, ready to roll, and what a phenomenal first week it was of the NFL and second full slate of college football. Uh, First of all, let me say uh, I'm here in my basement with my son, Alex Feiner. Uh, Alex is the brains of the operation on all the social media and uh, making sure all my tweets go out properly and tries to get everything spelled correctly because I'm not a good speller and uh, not get me canceled because half of the tweets I want to go out uh, would get us canceled. So, hi Alex, how you doing? I, I take credit for some of the tweets, are right? <laughs> Some of the really witty ones Alex comes up with. He's got some really funny stuff, super funny stuff, cry funny. And some of the stuff I don't understand, obviously cause I'm 61. So a lot of things go over my head or I'm just not, you know, in that generation. He makes sure that I'm up to speed on everything. So uh, I'm not as smart as I seem,
1: but I am smart. <laughs> so that's basically how it's going to roll. I'm like a real life Google for you. That's, yes, exactly. What does this mean? You know, exactly. not like you have a computer on your palm. You know?
0: Exactly, exactly saves me from shame and embarrassment so we're happy about that all right uh obviously uh first week of barstool sports advisors was phenomenal i mean first of all the show was received so well from everyone everyone loved the show uh everyone always loves me and uh thank you so much for the love it means a lot i never take it for granted you know what i mean if there's 570 comments normally 550 are about me and uh, 540 are great. And the 10 people that um, criticize me, uh, fuck yourselves.
1: And okay? how, how much do you love the comments? I mean, Love I the comments. I don't think people realize how much joy it brings you to read these comments.
0: I, I can't get enough of the comments. I'm the only fucking person. Listen, the first time I went to Barstool, they said, never read the comments. I go, what are you talking about? Big Cat, Dave, PFT, any of them. Never read the comments. I'm like, you don't read the comments? They're like, no. I'm like, I read every fucking comment every fucking time. And after that, did you take their advice? No, right? No, absolutely not. I, I ignored everything they say, which is normally how I roll. You know, they say something, I do the direct opposite. But so I love the comments. I love them on my Twitter, on my Instagram, on my Facebook, uh, on Snapchat. And there was so many overwhelmingly positive comments on barstool sports devices first of all the show's a fucking blast i mean obviously when are you ever gonna get three insane personalities like me dave and big cat in a room first of all uh with tommy and with hannah and with hank running the show i mean it's never gonna happen it isn't gonna happen it'll never happen and the only reason it happens is because barstool sports devices is a billion dollar company they got the money the layout they spared no expense It looks like it's easy to do, but it's not. 20 people are involved. And uh, from production to editing to music to letting us roll uh, to making sure a lot of my stuff is deleted so, again, we don't get canceled. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot, a lot of fun. And um, obviously, Big Cat, you know, was a total abortion. I
1: I mean, that's, listen touchy subject these days, but it was pretty bad.
0: It was as bad as you can ever be. It was one of those backroom ones. uh, So bad. I mean, now, I know the feeling because I think week one, season one, I went 0-9 right out of the box. I had the 0-9 flu. We had to call Caleb in to save me because I was dead uh, on the table, on a slab, and he brought me back to life. So it isn't like I don't know what Big Cat is going through. Uh, but he takes a lot of pride in his picks. He doesn't throw dots. He wants to fucking win like everyone else. And to lose every single game on Sunday was devastating for him. As a matter of fact, he lost Monday, too, until he switched it. And so he finally got a winner under his belt, and that was
1: good. Uh, Some would say it's harder to go on 7 than 7-0. Seven
0: uh, I don't think that's true, but people do say it. Correct. I don't think that's true, but people do say
1: it. They're both impressive. (laughs) That's
0: very impressive. And then they've put up his uh, last year's and two years performance, two and five, he sucked. Uh, I went three and two, 60%. uh, The only person on the show that had uh, a Mortal Lock winner, which was a phenomenal call, Uh, Bears outright. One of the
1: best calls of the weekend.
0: Absolutely. I said they would win outright, and they did. Uh, I said, shout out Eddie Barstool, Barstool Chicago, probably where the show's going to be next year. And I wanted to show them some love because they show me a lot of love. And for the Bears to win a fucking game is phenomenal. It was epic. And they looked dead at the half and then they just played great. And again, home underdog, love the dog, love against the grain, against the public. And again, when I win games, the key to me winning games is that you're never going to be on my side. You're always going to be against me. So I'm always going against the public, I'm always going against you, that's why I'm extremely valuable, that's why when I get hot and I make people money, like I did this weekend, I'm valuable because you're not betting the same fucking games I'm betting, you're never gonna bet the games, matter of fact, you hate the games I give you, it's almost hard to bet them, but that's why uh, I've survived 41 years picking winners, And that's why I'm the source. And that's why I'm the best there is
1: living, living legend,
0: living legend. Right. It's easy to be a legend. Okay. Anybody can be a fucking legend because you're dead already. And you know what happens when you're dead. People only look at the good things in your life. They don't look at the bad. They gloss over the bad. You could be a murderer, a pedophile, a killer. No one gives a fuck when you're dead. They only look at the good things. But if you're a living legend, that means everything in your life is brought up every day. It's fair game. Fair fucking game. So for me to continue being a living legend, uh, I'm tooting my own horn. Yes, yes, I'm fucking unbelievable. And I really impress myself. Uh, Three and two on the show. uh, My first death game of the year where I wish Bill Belichick death, uh, obviously going against Big Cat and obviously El Prez. uh, The Dolphins, as they always do, uh, even when Tom Brady was winning Super Bowls, Uh, He's lost 8 of 10, he can't beat the fucking Dolphins, no one can beat the Dolphins, Tua owns Belichick, I think he's now 4 and 0, uh, and the Dolphins were an easy pick, Uh, I also had, uh, like I said, the Bears as my best bet, and I had the Vikings as a great call, they pissed on Aaron Rodgers, he always starts off slow, even when he's won the back-to-back MVPs, he starts off slow, never looks good, week one or week two. Uh, People say, what's wrong with Aaron? And then he wins nine straight and, you know, throws 27 touchdowns and no interceptions. But in this game, listen, Vikings are real. Vikings are loaded. I would say Jefferson is the best receiver in the NFL. Unguardable, double him, triple him. Plan for him, he's going to fucking piss all over you. So three and two, uh, my losers were uh, the Raiders, which, you know, they came back. They were really outclassed, outmanned in this game, but they came back. And the Cardinals, which really didn't show up. And there was two scenarios on the Cardinals-Chiefs game. Uh, I bought into the second scenario. I bought in that since they pissed on the quarterback and they embarrassed him that he was going to rise to the occasion and the Chiefs losing everyone, they were going to be in trouble. Well, that went the opposite way and uh, Holmes looked as good as he's ever looked. He stayed in the pocket, they had a great game plan, and they really outclassed the Cardinals. Cardinals defense really put no pressure on him, and they did whatever they wanted. So it was a three and two performance. And last year though, I went five and zero, oh, yeah. and now three and two, so now I'm eight and two listen, to open listen. the
1: week. You just have to get used to the Wednesday pick, you know? Correct. The, that was the first time in your life, you know? You Correct. You never have to really decide midweeks. So.
0: Correct. I'm normally picking 40 minutes before the game goes. Think about it, 40 fucking minutes. Now I'm picking, you know, 100 hours. It's just not my forte. Um, Saturday kicked fucking ass. Uh, destroyed the card winner after winner after winner uh seven two and one uh one oh and one on best bets six and two on mediums um usc they're loaded scary oh what a! I mean watching usc is phenomenal it's just so much fun it's offensive football it's fun football very smart schemes smart everything and they played a great game and they won big, but uh, you know, you go into Saturday and you go seven two and one. You're playing with house money rolling into Sunday, and all I did Sunday was go six and three, hitting my best bet again, fifty dimer all in max best bet. Uh, the Giants outright. What a uh, comeback! Oh, unbelievable! Go for two at the end. Uh, that was Beautiful. unbelievable. You got to really take your hat off to their coach. He played with a reckless abandon. He played to win and just not to not to lose. He played to win. He said, fuck it. We're going for it. And he and he really was very, very impressive. Um, so I was six and three on Sunday and uh had a lot of winners.
1: Let's just, talk let's talk about that Sunday night game. Okay. That might um, be the worst game I've ever seen in my life.
0: Well, I mean, I lost that game, had Dallas in that game, read the game wrong. Uh it was pathetic. It was, it was three nothing at one point. We it were, was unwatchable. It was literally unwatchable. If you didn't bet that game and you didn't bet the Patriots, it was unwatchable. If you bet Dallas, you knew you were dead immediately. Listen. You knew before, you were dead at 3 nothing. Absolutely. I mean, listen. Dak Prescott might be the most overrated quarterback in the history of the NFL. Tell me what you really feel about him. I mean, before he was hurt, he had nothing. I thought the injury was planned just to say face because he sucked dick. He had no plan. He just doesn't look comfortable. You think the doctor was in on it? Like they just knew? I possibly because he doesn't look comfortable Alex he just does not look confident he doesn't look comfortable they have one receiver and he did absolutely nothing he couldn't get open i mean they're in a lot of fucking trouble on the offensive side of the ball
1: well zeke they they were they were getting down the field they got the first field goal and stopped giving the ball so. i mean they that was started a good game throwing. plan it was like this is working let's stop.
0: that's <laughs> unbelievable and their defense kept them in that game because like we spoke about that game could have been 40 to 3 I'm
1: ready that was one of his worst games ever. He looked and terrible. And he still won by six No, he
0: looked terrible. And at least he owns up to it. I mean, Dak is all positivity, positivity, positivity. Never owns the mistakes he makes. He doesn't run away from it, but he just says, hey, listen, it happened. Let's go forward. Tom really broke down. He was not happy with his performance. He let's, really Let's was be honest, not.
1: though. Tom's family needed that win because uh, he can't come back and lose. No, I mean. I mean that would have in, been devastating. Like in he reality. He came back to right. get away from them and fight fighting with his wife. Oh, come on.
0: Got, I mean, I don't know if he has a prenuptial or she has a prenuptial against him. Who knows? They're both, you know...
1: That could worth... have felt bad, though. You know, like, it could have been a, let's do it for his kids.
0: <laughs> it could have been, because, I mean, you know, Tom's on thin ice here. When you're fighting with your wife, nothing short of a Super Bowl hoisting the trophy will equal that. Yeah, we know not, this.
1: He can't lose a game. He I mean, could just... you
0: imagine if... Imagine if she said, I'm not fucking you. I mean, think about it. He's going to go the whole fucking year not... Not fucking his wife, who's the hottest fucking thing ever. You got to worry about when he's playing. He knows she's mad. Is she fucking somebody else? And then if he doesn't win the Super Bowl, what's the story? I mean that's the bottom line. So a lot of pressure on Tom so Brady.
1: winner bust. Yes, no two ways about it. In both senses.
0: No it. two ways about it. No pun intended. And then Monday night, just you know, another four and one performance. So it was seven and two and one Saturday, six and three Sunday, and then four and one yesterday, hitting the parley. Every sucker in the mother was Broncos. This Broncos. That. It's going to be a lot of points scored. Let's go over Russell Wilson. Russell this. Russell that. And the Seahawks defense stood on their fucking head. It looked like the uh, Legion of Boom. It looked like the old Seattle defense. They and played great.
1: That has to feel good for them. Oh, I mean, to big stick time. it in his ass.
0: Oh, that's... right up his fucking ass. And they booed him. They booed him from Jump Street, which they should have. You clap before the game starts, but again, once the first snap, he was fucking booed the entire game. And uh, you know, Denver has a new co- a new head coach, and. You cannot make. You cannot go through the season if you're a new head coach without fucking up. And he he's looked got, terrible.
1: He got all of his fuck ups out of the way.
0: Absolutely, from clock management to play calling, everything he did wrong, everything he did poorly. But again, that's why he's a rookie head coach, just like a rookie quarterback, a
1: rookie head coach. Even for a rookie head coach, that was bad.
0: No, it was bad. It was bad because their uh, their ceiling is so high. Denver has so much talent on the offensive side of the ball. They played great defense, and they couldn't have played any worse. I mean, two fumbles at the goal line, thank God. And uh, they couldn't punch the ball in. They really could do nothing. But, you know, we had Seattle. We had under. We hit the parlay. And then we also put uh, some baseball together. We had under in Atlanta Frisco, which was winner, uh, under Chicago Mets, which was a winner. So it was a 4-1 Monday, 6-3. Uh, and three. Sunday, 7-2 and two Saturday. Let's put it together. Uh, a 17-6-1 eight and two on the best bets, eight, two, and one best bets. Uh, So very happy because listen, you know, I'm extremely positive and I'm 61 fucking years old. So my goal in life is to be a teacher. I'm trying to teach you what I forgot about life. You're never going to know what I forgot about gambling. You're never going to know what I forgot about pussy. You're never going to know. So what I try to do is teach the youth of America or people that are younger than me uh how to do it and what to do and gambling again is for the rich to have fun and lose money it's the hardest thing in the world to win money gambling the hardest if you think you're gonna win money gambling and that's what you're gonna be as your vocation and that's your business plan or game plan you're fucked you're dead from jump street you should have fun gambling post up 2,000 5,000 10,000 20,000 Whatever your bankroll is, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, quarter of a million, a million dollars. We have people posting up a million dollars. These are billionaires. These are people who have fuck you money. But whatever you do, post up your money, bet a percentage of your bankroll. I like to say five percent. Alex says that's way too high because Alex is not a professional poker player, but he plays poker for a living. He loves poker. Um, he says 2 to 3% should be a bankroll. So the main problem that we always have with gambling and gamblers is they bet over the head. And they are impatient. And they want to fire. And they want to fire hard. And if they lose their money, they keep reloading. There should be no reloading. There is no reloading. If you got to fucking reload, that means from Jump Street, you had a plan that was... Um, not successful you have to bet within your means everybody should gamble every fucking day from six years old seven years old your parents should teach you how to gamble and the same as how to eat a meal same as how to go to the movies same to go to a broadway play same to have fun but it is not a way that you make your living You cannot do it, it's too hard to do. Now I've done it, but I've been doing it for 41 fucking years and it's the only thing that I've ever done. And I have connections that I've accumulated over 40 years with the biggest gambling syndicates in the world from when I put the offshore sports books in business in 1990. So I have connections worldwide, whether it's with William Hill in England, whether it's the entire offshore operations in Curacao, and Costa Rica, everywhere with uh, mafia connections that I made in the eighties. You're never gonna have them. They're not accessible to you. So there's things I know that I'm able to get information from the biggest betting syndicates in the world at 40 minutes before game time, 30 minutes before game time, 20 minutes before game time, that's not accessible to you. If systems and trends and past performances worked, if knowledge worked, most people would win okay? That's the bottom line. There's nobody more knowledgeable than Troy Aikman. If Troy Aikman bet for a living, he'd be fucking balls broke. Uh, Bill Cower, balls broke. John Madden, rest his soul, dead. Balls broke. Nobody can win. So the knowledge, you think, well, they have inside information. They're head coaches. They know this. They know that. College coaches. Nick Saban, if he bet for a living, balls broke. So knowledge, experience, Uh, Past performances, uh, trends, systems, newsletters. Your buddy says this, this one says this. Useless, 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 useless. You're going to hit 40, 30, 20%. You could say, Stu, how that's possible. It's fucking possible. I've been doing this my whole fucking life. I don't know, who knows. So again, the only reason I have an edge is because of my connections that I've made over the last 40 fucking years years. You know, a lot of you say, oh, Stu, you're a joke. You scream, you yell. How can we take you seriously? Well, the biggest bettors in the world do, okay? People pay me millions of dollars a year for my fucking picks. Nobody else that you know gets paid millions of dollars a year. Nobody. Zero. Okay. So again, what I my point is this. Be careful. Be smart gambling. You're betting two, three to four percent of your bankroll. If you really want to win money gambling, you really want to win, you bet one game a week. You really want to win, you bet 50 games a year. That's it. That's fucking it. Otherwise, be like the entire world. Have fucking fun. Don't bet over your head. Don't put yourself in a jackpot. Don't borrow money gambling. Don't bet money you don't fucking have. Have a great fucking life. There's nothing better than gambling. Just take a zero off for of your bet, like we talked about it last week. If you're a million dollar better, bet 100000 you're a hundred thousand dollar better, bet ten thousand. You're a ten thousand dollar better, bet a thousand. You're a thousand dollar better, bet a hundred. You're a hundred dollar better, bet ten dollars a game. Well, Stu, it's not fun betting ten dollars a game. Hey, fuck you. Reality is tough, okay? Swallow reality. That's fucking reality. You want me to fucking blow shit up your ass? You want me to fucking lie to you? No, you don't. You really don't. You might not be able to own what I'm saying, but it's the truth. And that's the bottom fucking line, okay? That's the bottom line. Okay. So I don't need your fucking money. You don't want to pay me fine. I don't fucking care. I have customers with me for 40 years. I have the biggest bettors in the world that pay me, that trust me. If I lose a week, if I lose a month, they don't give a fuck. If I lose 5, 10, 20 in a row, they don't fucking care cuz they know I'm going to get hot and that's why people pay me. So obviously stewfinder.com for my picks. You don't got to fucking go there, but it's always there. It's always accessible. Now, uh, but if, if you did pay you this weekend for that Barstool Special, what happened? Uh, the Barstool Special is what I advertise on the Barstool Sports Advisors. Again, that's how I make money uh, working for Barstool Sports. That's the only money I make, okay? They do not pay me a salary. They do not pay me a fucking dollar. They don't cover my expenses. Nothing. Zero. They don't give me a fucking meal. Okay? And I don't ask for it either. Okay? The way I make money is I advertise my commercials. Whether it's BeLikeStew.com or StewFinder.com. And specifically, the Barstool Special. And this week on the Barstool Special, on the TV show, uh, I went a perfect 3-0. and So everybody that paid me the $69 favorite number, favorite position, and thank you because hundreds of people did. Thank you for your business. Thank you for your trust. I never, ever, 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 ever take it for granted. I posted a 3-0. So you paid me $69 and you went 3-0. $69, not a lot of money. Not a lot of money. Years ago, I used to charge $10,000 for the same thing I'm charging $69 for right now. I dealt with people at that $5,000 and up. I never dealt with people that bet less than 5000 I never dealt with people that net had, a, had a net worth of less than $5 million. But now, since the world bets, this is where it's at. And the only way I make money at Barstool Sports is my promo that I run on the fucking show. That's it. That might be shocking to you, but that's the fucking truth, okay? And we went a perfect 3-0. Uh, Falcons plus 5.5, winner, winner, winner. Steelers plus seven winner winner winner. Lions plus five and a half winner winner winner. So you paid me $69 on the Barstool special and I went a perfect three and zero. Oh. Falcons, Steelers, Lions. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. High quality picks for an extremely reasonable price. Bang, bang, fucking bang. So that's the bottom line. So when you see the commercial this week, you'll be like, wow, that's dude, that's mind blowing. I figured you were getting paid millions of dollars a year from Barstool. No. No, I make my money and I make millions of dollars off the commercial. I get the clients and obviously I have to produce and win because nobody's paying me for losers. That's the fucking bottom line. So we win a perfect 3-0 and on the Barstool Special. And obviously I'm looking to go 3-0 next week on the Barstool Special. Uh, $69 again, favorite number, favorite position. So that's basically where we're at. Um I just want to talk for a second, Alex, about my transformation. We're in week eleven. And how do you feel? Um, I'll tell you, week 10 and week eleven were a thousand times harder than week one through nine because there was no college football, there was no NFL, and now that we're in the thick of the business where instead of being able to let's say take a couple of naps during the day or go to sleep early you know up until two in the morning and i'm back up at six in the morning so i'm only getting four hours sleep obviously the more you're up the hungrier you are the more money on the line where if you add up millions of dollars a day is better my opinion on the weekend tens of millions of dollars a day is better my fucking opinion it's stressful There's no two ways about it. And normal MO dealing with my stress would be marijuana, sugar, and carbs, okay? Uh, The only thing I have right now to deal with it is sex and a lot of prayers and a lot of prayers and a lot of prayers and some caffeine. Uh, I've increased my coffee from three cups to five cups a day. Um, My exercise now has gone from, let's say, I was gonna probably go up to 60 miles a week. Now we're probably down to between 30 and 40. I'm gonna put weights, uh, lightweights, extreme uh, reps involved to try to burn the calories off and to try to burn the stress off. But um, not easy, never as easy. Normally a football season, you've been with me, you know, whatever, you're 31 years old. So you've been watching me for, let's say, 27, 26 years that you've been looking at me. I gain between 20 and 60 pounds every football season every fucking football season that's why i made my transformation 52 weeks because let's say if i break even this entire football season
1: it's a fucking win
0: it's a home run
1: exactly you gotta avoid thanksgiving that's brutal
0: right exactly right thanksgiving could be a five seven pound weight game christmas christmas and then the bowls and we'll then make it's, up holidays anything. right Right, and then it's like fucking I'll, I'll worry about it after the Super Bowl, and that's how I gained 20 to 40 pounds, 50 pounds, 60 pounds. So um, I'm trying to be realistic with my life. I'm trying to be responsible to finally grow up at 61 years old. Very hard, not easy. Every day is a struggle right now where I had the gift of nine weeks of bliss. There was no, there was no struggle. It was like, I wake up, 10.8, 6.1, eat my clean food, bah, bang, 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 bang. No problem. Every day right now is a struggle. One moment at a time, one day at a time. So I'm just gonna struggle. Hey, life is a struggle. It's a commitment to uncomfortability. I'm gonna grind it fucking out. And now instead of working one week at a time, I'm back to 24 hours at a time, maybe 12 hours at a time, maybe six hours at a time, maybe four hours at a time, maybe meal to meal. So, um, my first week I gained weight last week was uh, from 186.2 to 187.8. Uh, I did not have any sugar. I did not eat any more carbs. Uh, I did not smoke any marijuana. So, we're going on 11 weeks. But I ate more good food, probably added like a fourth meal because I'm up so much and I'm fucking shot. I'm tired, like I'm tired. My body's tired right now because I don't have the sugar or the carbs to get the quick fix. Marijuana for me, it's really weird folks. When I smoke marijuana, it's like snorting cocaine for other people. I get lifted, I don't get tired, I get lifted. I smoke a blunt, smoke a second blunt, smoke a third blunt, hit four dabs, take a thousand milligrams of edibles, and that's a normal 10 hour day. And you I can do like that-
1: six people to smoke because you, you tap them in when they fall asleep so you get the other guy. Right,
0: like you don't realize it. I'm a psycho fuck. I'm a I'm a gutter pot smoker. I mean, I'll smoke you. Under, Cheech and Chong is nothing on fucking me. There's nobody alive that could smoke more than me. And let's go right into it right now. Joey Diaz cannot smoke more than me. Speaking of Joey Diaz, this Saturday uh, at the Sony Theater on Broadway where Joey Diaz has uh, five... Shows
1: once a month, the next five months. We got September 17th at 8 p.m., October 8th at 8 p.m., November 2nd at 8 p.m., December 28th at 8 p.m., and January 28th at 8 p.m. Now we got three Saturdays, two Wednesdays.
0: And Joey's been so gracious to, he's allowing me 10 minutes to introduce him, hype the fucking crowd up, get them in a fucking frenzy, So I'm making them wet. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know when you go out with a girl and if you know how to have sex with a girl, you don't just fucking go right down and put your dick in her pussy, put your dick in her ass, put your dick in her mouth. You get her wet. Whether it's verbal talking, whether it's touching, whether it's telling her she's the best that's ever lived, that she smells great, that she looks great, that she's a one of a kind. Whatever the fuck your game is to get your girl wet, that's what I'm doing. I'm the wet man. Call me Mr. Wet. You're going to get the crowd wet and then tag him in? I'm going to get the crowd wet, and then Joey Diaz is going to come and make you fucking come and come and come. So it's going to be Stu Fine a Wet, Joey Diaz closing the door, multiple orgasms. Now, if you're bringing your girl to the show, listen, I want to tell you in advance, at the end of the show, me and Joey are going to be hanging out, We'll sign autographs, take pictures, do some snaps. You know, she might not be your girl after that Saturday night. You know, I'm not responsible for that. I'm not telling you in fucking advance. So your girl might come with you there, but she might come home with me and might come home with Joey.
1: Okay. I think they wrote that in fine print. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think that's a disclaimer. right? When you bought the tickets, you you knew this. You knew this in advance. And the tickets went for sale uh, several months ago at 30 to 40 each. And now they're being scalped for $400. fucking hundred, tenfold. Ten times more than the original price. But as we know, Joey Diaz is a movie star. I mean, he's a fucking icon. He's the comedian's comedian. All the fucking comedians in the world, the top-notch comedians. I'm talking the best of the best. From Robin Williams to Richard Pryor to Joe Rogan, any of them. When you talk about Joey Diaz, they fucking say he's the fucking best. Because he is. He's the fucking best. He lays it on the line. He starts at a 10 and ends at a 20. There is, you cannot breathe. You laugh so fucking hard that when you leave that show, it was like a three-hour workout. It's like you ran a fucking marathon. So every show I'm opening up for him and I'm going to introduce, I don't know if I'm going to tell any jokes. It might just be a straight hype. Because I had some jokes, but then Alex said my jokes are shit, and he offered <laughs> to write some jokes for me. I don't know how it's gonna go. But one thing you do know is I'm gonna get you fucking hyped, I'm gonna get you wet, and then Diaz is just gonna make you come, come, come. So we open uh Sony Theater Saturday night on Broadway. That's our first show, eight o'clock, and I just can't fucking wait. It's my greatest fucking honor. It'll be the first time I've ever done this in front of people. Now. How I, long have you wanted to do? My entire fucking life. So this is a dream come true. This is a dream come true. There's no two ways about it. I used to watch a, a show called Copycats in the early 70s where they'd have comedians come on and do imitations and stuff. I've always loved vaudeville comedy. I've always loved comedy from I Love Lucy to Jackie Gleason. Those were the people I knew. And then Freddie Prince and Friends came on HBO. like First time HBO was uh, available in like 1977. And he had an incredible special and he had on like these funny comedians, Mule Deer, Elaine Boozler, and they were fucking amazing. And then obviously the Richard Pryor's and the Robin Williams and the George Collins were always my fucking favorites. Chris Rock is great now. And um, Sam Kennison was always my all time, all time. Three years in a row, I brought like 30 people to see him. Uh, And then we we went uh, to Madison Square Garden. We saw him once at uh, New Year's Eve. I'm a Sam Kettison type of guy. I'm a screamer. I'm a yeller. I'm inappropriate. I'll say anything to anyone. Uh, I also like the Don Rickles uh, situation too. I'll destroy you. I'll crush you. I'll kill you. You're in the crowd. I'll ask you a question. And then I'm going for your fucking jugular. And I want your wife to come up, your girl come up on stage and eat my ass. And that's really how I roll.
1: But- So you and Sam were in- the same room. That could have been the two greatest yellers in the history of life. Absolutely. Oh, oh, oh,
0: oh, oh, oh,
1: You know, I I love him. You just blew four speakers and cars out. Sorry about that, guys. Sorry. Four ear gals. drums.
0: Sorry, uh, fans. But, yeah, Sam was great. Sam was fucking great. He went a little over the board, though, Sam. He went way over. You know what I'm saying? Like Habitual like, line stepper. Yeah, he, he stepped on the line so bad that God had to take him out with a fucking truck, I think, in Arizona, and he just ran him the fuck over. So, the only way to kill that guy is to take a truck and run him over, and I think that's how he died. Squish. Bye-bye. So long. But by then, he was coked out of his head. He was fucking whores. He had them on chains. He had people in wheelchairs. It was crazy. But his original, before, let's say the 90% of his stuff was unbelievable. The last 10% of his stuff, the last end of his career was ugly. Was really ugly. But, be that as it may, Saturday night, I'm opening for Joey Diaz and I fucking love Joey Diaz. I love every movie he's ever been in. I love anything he's ever done. And we go back to 1990. Joey worked for me as a salesman. And I've been on his podcast a couple of times. And he's been so gracious to me. Like he credits me for so much of his success. Because I used to run a boiler room operation. Where from 1982, I'd give you a script. And you had seven days of training with me. And the eighth day, you would have to close me and make a sale, and you would have to be an actor. And I taught you how to act, and I taught you how to deal with every objection. I taught you how to say, "Listen, listen, listen!" Shut the customer up, control the conversation. Do this, do this, do this. Direct the conversation. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough, and close it. And there was other scenarios I went through. And I, you never got on the phone to work for me because you were going to make a thousand to ten thousand a week in 1984. Think of how much that is. Okay? Because that's how good my leads were coming in, my advertising vehicle was coming in, how good I was getting the person to you and how good I was training you. So, Joey Diaz has been so gracious to me, oh, a thousandfold more gracious than I ever had anyone ever in my life. He said to me, I was responsible for his success. When he went on the road, when he went to these shows, he had the confidence because I taught him how to handle every motherfucking conversation. And he killed. And I'm like, how can that be true, Joe? Are you serious? Are you just blown? And he's like, Stu, fucking love you. And he's been so gracious to me and I cannot believe uh, the attitude of gratitude I have to Joe. So if you're going to the show this Saturday, I'll fucking see you. If you're not going to the show, bye Tickets for the next four shows after Saturday. And then also, Joe said it on his podcast, me and Joe are going to do Westbury Music Fair, the old Westbury Music Fair. I think it's called the Nikon Theater right now on Long Island, holds 3,500 people. It's going to be me, Joey Diaz, uh, one night only. And Big Cat and PFT have already said they're going to come and they want to put a bar on the stage. And they want to do drinks and make drinks. Uh, I'm going to try to get Portnoy there. Uh, I'm sure KFC will come. Uh, All the comedians at Barstool and everybody said they'll come. So it's going to be a fucking amazing show. It's one night. We're going to do it in June. That's a lock. That's not supposition. That's not me blowing smoke up your ass. That's not some hype. It's real. So love to see you Saturday. Love to see you Saturday night. Love to hug it out with you. Can't fucking wait. Just can't, can't, can't fucking wait. Now, uh, speaking of comedy, uh, three weeks ago, Uh, We went to the Paramount in Huntington, Long Island. Um, Obviously, we went there totally out of respect and love and dedication for the one and only Craig Carton. Uh, We love Craig. I love Craig. I am a supporter of Craig no matter what, okay? That's the bottom line. I love fucking Craig Carton unconditionally, okay? Forever. I think he's the most unique talented individual alive. He's the greatest entertainer I've ever seen in my life. He's the sharpest mind and verbally tongue I've ever fucking seen. Doesn't matter the situation. Doesn't matter the circumstance. He can make you laugh. He could come up with something witty. So he was the host of the Pete Alonzo charity event. So me, Alex, and some friends went to see him. And It was cry fucking funny. Unbelievable. I mean, how good was Pete Alonso? What a storyteller. I mean, listen, if he fucking stops playing baseball right fucking now, he could have his own sitcom, his own show. He could be on the radio. I've never seen someone so genuine and so funny and so sharp and had the audience eating out of his hands. This guy's a fucking baseball player. And he told a story that just absolutely fucking killed, brought the fucking house down. We were hysterical. And the other comedians were insanely inappropriate and insanely funny. I mean, there was 11 and 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds in the crowd, and the comedians had to constantly apologize because they went gutter, and it was fucking funny. It was so funny. Where now everyone is so, you gotta be so careful what you say and you don't wanna really you know, insult anyone or demean anyone or put people down. You know, this was hands off. You're fucking here to laugh. You leave your fucking ego at the door. When you leave, you don't fucking be mad at us. We're fucking going to make you laugh. That's what we're here for. We have a purpose. The purpose is to make you laugh, make you have fun. If you get insulted, Get fucking over yourselves, okay? Don't take yourselves so fucking seriously, okay? It's like eight billion people in the fucking world and you're not the center of the earth. Your opinion really doesn't fucking matter when it comes to comedy and go with the fucking flow, okay? Go with the fucking flow. And this crowd went with the fucking flow. Whether you're the 10-year-old kid in the fucking audience that got a fucking a lesson in life that he's never gonna fucking forget. A couple lessons, yeah. A couple of lessons. A couple of lessons on fucking everything. Or, 80 year old people Steve Cohen was in the crowd he was in the middle of the crowd there was no security guys fucking 14 billion dollars he's the owner of the Mets all the Mets were there the entire Mets team from the Mets manager to all their coaches to the entire team was there if you wanted to wipe out the Mets and Steve Cohen you blew that fucking place up there'd be no Mets it would put them back worse than Marshall's football organization was fucking put back when the plane went down. I mean, I but I couldn't believe how nice Steve Cohn was and how giving all the Mets were with their time and their money. And uh, let me just say the funniest thing of the night, because my wife, anytime I go anywhere, because she knows how psycho I am. Um, and she knows I'm clean, sober, abstinent right now, so she knows it's where She says, please don't spend no money. Because, you know, when she says don't spend no money, she says, I've come back with the most stupidest things. Honey, I just spent 50000 I just spent 40000 I just spent 30000 And she's like, well, didn't I fucking tell you not to spend any money? So we go to this event, and obviously they're auctioning everything and their mother off. And I'm saying nothing, because, I, listen, I, the main thing in life is this. Happy life, happy wife. And that's really how it goes because you make a commitment to your partner. I'm really big on this. You know, I, t- I talk about fucking eating ass, looking clip, this one, that one. But in reality, I've been married to the same fucking woman, fucking the same woman, 44 years. Married 34 years, okay? So all the pop and circumstance and all the stories, when you boil it fucking down, I got one fucking pussy for 44 fucking years. That's my fucking wife. But, um. Shout out, mom. Shout out, Mom. Shout out, Sandy Fonda. You're the fucking best there is. But the bottom line is this. Uh, She says to me, don't spend no fucking money because I am a dangerous person. I'm a gutter. I'm like a drunken sailor with my money. I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in two hours for no reason. And given everything I just purchased away to strangers as I'm walking out the door, I must have done that 10 fucking times. I'm a psycho.
1: If there was a league of professional spenders, you'd be first ballot Hall of Fame.
0: First ballot Hall of Fame. There's no comparison to how I spend money. I spend money even when I don't have money. I'll borrow money on top of borrowed money on top of borrowed money to spend the money, okay? So Alex must have had like everybody pregame before they left the kitchen. They were wasted before they left the kitchen. I knew this was problems. Then the minute they get there, they go to the fucking bar. They run up a $250 bar tab. Then we get to the seats and they're ordering fucking Tito's like it's fucking butter. Every single thing Alex fucking bit uh, on. I was gonna-
1: <laughs> I was in the fucking zone.
0: <laughs> it would be like, Craig would go 2,500. Alex would stand up 2,500. Somebody would go 5,000. Alex would stand up 5,000. Somebody would go 7,000. Alex would stand up 8,000. It would go to 10,000. And then the thing would be sold to 12,000, but Alex would stop at 10. So 10 to 12,000 was his number. And we just got lucky. Five things got bidded above that. And... Thank you, God. But he was hysterical because he saw how uncomfortable I was. And my stomach was in a knot. And I was sweating profusely. I swear to God, I was sweating like I was in a 120 degree Arizona desert with no water. I'm like, your mother is going to fucking kill me. My balls and my dick were inside my body. I was so nervous. Like I snorted an eight ball cut with speed. And if you whip down my pants, my dick and my balls, I would have
1: looked like a five-year-old girl with a vagina. That's it. Listen, the rush you get at auctions is unmatched. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a professional. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Like if there's a career in it, like if you, if you have an auction and you need somebody like I'm, 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 I'm available. That's it. That's they had these, say. They had these people
0: stand behind us. So how it worked is they had like 10 or 12 of these people with long poles and it had like this Met hat or a Met pointer at the end, so like once they saw who was bidding, there was like 15 people that bid on everything. They'd stand behind you. And I kept telling this guy, get the fuck away from me. Can you get the fuck, and Alex just loved it. It was unbelievable. So I would say my son is responsible for an extra 25,000 that went to the charity. You're welcome, Pete. Yes, shout out Pete, and thank my son Alex because he made your fucking money. So the charity event was fucking amazing. The comedy was great. Uh, next year, you have to go to the Pete Alonzo comedy. Look, the way I look at life, there's three things that are the best ever. Sex, gambling, comedy. Not necessarily in that order. But if you have great sex, if you're able to gamble responsibly every day for the rest of your fucking life, and if you could laugh your fucking balls off, you got you got a perfect life. You got a great life. Listen, I'm not the guy you go to to solve cancer. Not my game. Way over my head. I'm not the guy you go to to hear my political take on CNN, CNBC, or Fox Sports. Not my game. Way over my head, okay? I'm not the guy you go to to solve a math equation. I'm also not the guy you go to to spell anti-disestablishmentarianism. Can't do it. Have no idea. I remember in second grade, third grade, you'd have a substitute teacher, he would put anti-disestablishmentarianism on the fucking chalkboard, give you a pen and paper and go, the winner today is how many little words you can make out of that. And of course I got my ass kicked in every fucking time and I hated every substitute teacher after that because I felt less than, because you're a douchebag, I'm not good at this. Fuck you, teach me something, you piece of shit. Don't just mail in the fucking lesson. But.
1: What a lesson plan that is.
0: Yeah, That's exactly. Unbelievable. Can you, it's fucking, what a joke. That's why, why this country is so fucked. But anyway, so but you can go to me for sexual advice because I'm a great lay, I'm a great fuck, and I work very hard at fucking, at eating ass, and at licking clit. And as we know, it's the 15, 15, 30. I created the perfect hour, 15 minutes eating ass, 15 minutes licking clit, 30 minutes fucking. You can't hold your load, bring a vibrator. Vibrator I like is the one with the little mouse at the tip. That the little thing vibrates, you hit the clitoris, and then if the girl likes, if she could vaginally come, which in my experience very hard to get girls vaginally come, it's clitor- clitorally is much easier. You make them come with the clit, you eat their ass, you finger fuck their ass, and then if they if they like a big vibrator, you fist fuck them. You just fist fuck them. What the fuck do you have two fists for? You don't really want to throw punches. You fist fuck them. So I'm great at sex. I'm great at gambling because it's the only thing I've ever done in my life. Because I tell reality. I tell it like it is, and I'm funny as fuck, and I love to laugh. So when you're coming to Stu Finer, sex, gambling, comedy, in that order. So Saturday night's going to be a dream come true. It's going to be a dream come true. That's why I love Barstool Sports Advisors so much, because at the end of the day, Dave Portnoy is motherfucking funny. He's dry funny, but he's so fucking funny. The motherfucker is funny. He has amazing timing. He's extremely witty. He's always the sharpest guy in the room, even though people don't think he is, but he fucking is. He has the biggest dick in the room, and if you haven't seen his dick, I don't know where you've been because everybody's seen his fucking dick, and it's impressive, and he's a great fuck, and he's got thousands of women. I'll swear by that. And Big Cat might be the nicest, smartest guy that's ever lived. So smart so funny and he plays off me and Dave and he plays off Dave and himself and me and Dave play off each other and me, Dave and Big Cat play off each other. So, the show is so great and every week, first of all, it's an honor to do the show. I would fucking do anything to do the show for the rest of my fucking life, okay? It's that good. It's that great. And if you don't know anything about the show, Barstow sports advisors the show originated from my original show from 1990 through 2003 called the sports advisors that was my show where everybody that was on the show worked for me and i was screaming and yelling and dad uh excuse me um and dave and his father mike his dad used to watch my show in the 90s and dave called me in 2017 said we were big fans in the 90s We love your show. We want to bring it back and rebrand it instead of The Sports Advisors. Make it Barstool Sports Advisors. And that's how the show, that's the inception of the show. Dave is a big fan. One of the main reasons he opened uh, Barstool Sports is because of me. It's because he loved gambling. He loved sports. He loved entertainment. He loved me screaming and yelling. And he loved... The way I presented myself where gambling was also entertaining. See, a lot of people take gambling seriously and they're scumbags and they're lowlifes and they try to scam you and rob you and cheat you out of your money. Where they say, can't lose, a guaranteed winners, inside information, bought and paid for. I'll even book your bets. 99% of the people in my industry are horse, liars, scum and they should be shot. They should be shot in the street, hung in the street, because they are trying to rob you. They're selling you a bill of goods, okay? Gambling should be entertaining, entertainment. If some guy says, hey, listen, pay me, and then I'll send you over to my boss or this inside guy or this mafia guy, that is a scam. You're being scammed. You're being robbed. You're being lied to. If they give you some absurd documented record, you're being scammed, you're being lied to. So gambling should be entertaining and should be fun. Dave saw me and said, that's what I want to do. I am a great entertainer, which he's the best in the world. I'm a great gambler, which he is. And he's the smartest fucking guy in the room with the biggest set of balls ever. People told him, you're never going to do this. You're never going to amount to nothing. Came out of Michigan, got a couple of jobs, didn't really work for himself. And he fucking on the balls of his motherfucking ass went to train stations in Massachusetts, handing out eight and a half by 11, one page pamphlets of fantasy football lineups. And that's how he made a billion fucking dollars. So if you don't think Dave Portnoy's worth every dollar, he's worth more. And when push came to shove, when the world was on the balls of his fucking ass, he raised almost $50 million for small businesses and made thousands of people's lives. And then he really helped a lot of people. And people don't want to talk that narrative. They want to say you're abusive, you're a scumbag, this and that, you fuck young women. You know, like whatever it fucking is. I don't like your social take. I don't like your uh, political take. I don't like your take at all. You're ABC. Fuck you, okay? Fuck you, okay? Fuck you. What Dave Portnoy did for people, you could take 100 million people and put them in a room and they couldn't kiss Dave Portnoy's ass. So in other words, he's a giver. He's an entertainer and he's one of the greatest guys that's ever lived, so the show is so much fun, because you got Dave, you got Big Cat, you got me, and then Tommy and Hannah are really great at what they do, Tommy, super smart, super funny, dry humor, Hannah, fucking model, can't look any better, plays the dumb blonde part, which she's anything but, she's experienced at everything, you don't know what she can do, she's a fucking equestrian rider of a horse, she's Uh, accredited, she's amazing, amazing golfer, people love her, very friendly, very kind, the biggest heart ever, and smart as fuck, she plays the dumb blonde, but that's an act, so, five people on that show, with Hank running the show, producing the show, and all the editing that goes into it, and the music and everything, it's just phenomenal, just a great fucking experience, so, week two, uh, we film tomorrow, and it's gonna be absolutely unbelievable, um, Let's talk a little bit, Alex, about the uh, UFC card because we've watched UFC since is it, since its inception, okay? We've watched it uh, by the grace of God through friends uh, who do our website, do our podcast, um, that we work with them and we're personal friends with them. Uh, they got us into Conor McGregor and Conor McGregor is a friend. If you see Conor McGregor and you yell at my, say, my name, he'll say, Stu Fine is a proper guy. He's a proper guy. And he fucking loves me. He follows me on Instagram. He puts my stuff on his fucking stories. That's kind of fucking McGregor. And he fucking loves me. And his whiskey, I, I listen, I hate most whiskeys. His fucking whiskey, proper whiskey, proper 12. It's fucking amazing. I mean, it's fucking great, okay? There's two drinks that I drink, okay? Literally, I drink Cristal Champagne or any high-end champagne. Cristal, Dom Pignon, Krug, Perrier Jouette. Um, and proper twelve, because I love fucking proper twelve. I love proper twelve, and we've always rooted for Kana. And Alex hooked up with Kana before we met, before we actually knew him and were personal friends with him. Um, He loved him. He just loved him. And when he knocked out Aldo, first of all, Alex was fucking drunk before, so drunk that day. I mean, like you, I don't even know how he stood up. But when he Fucking knocked out Aldo. He was screaming. I told you. I told you. I've never seen him more happy in my fucking life. I've never seen him more happy in my fucking life.
1: I don't have kids, but like that would be like if your kids born. I, get, I That's what I equate that feeling to. So Alex is very experienced at UFC, and
0: he's taught my my youngest son John Allen, who's twenty three years old, everything about UFC. These guys know anything about everything, soup to nuts, every weight class. So the UFC card. Saturday night. The main event was absolutely unfucking believable What'd you think of that main event?
1: Unbelievable. I mean, as far as the UFC goes, that's about as proper of a send-off as you could get. I mean, you know, for a guy like Nate Diaz, he's a guy who's been through it. I mean, speaking of Connor, Connor kind of put him on the map. He's always been, you know, he's always had his fans, but to turn him into a superstar... I feel like those two fights he had with Conor McGregor put him on the map to the point where, like, to get to the UFC, first of all, you have to be incredible. I mean, it it is very cutthroat. A lot of those guys don't make top-tier money. But when you get to superstardom, I mean, it's really a a handful of guys. It's pretty much Conor and whoever fights Conor. So, Nate became a household name. Every single person, whether you watch UFC or not, knows who he is. And... The fight he was going to have versus Hamza was not going to be... It, it was going to be fucking ugly. I mean, let's be honest here. I mean, it's, I'm glad it didn't happen because there's always the question of could he have pulled it off? But in my eyes, to get a send-off fight where you have your last fight on your contract, you fight a veteran of, you know, Tony Ferguson, who everyone loves as well, but to come out with a win right off into the sunset can't really, uh you know, go any better than that.
0: Unbelievable, No, I, and it was so enjoyable, because I remember John Allen's like, we're not going to pay for this fucking fight, and then the heavyweight doesn't make weight, and then the main event doesn't make weight, so you're thinking, this is going to be the worst card ever, this is going to be dog shit, and it was so enjoyable, I mean, so much fun, and I, I go way back to the beginning where my oldest is 33. So he was like five years old. So we going back like 28, 28 years ago, I think is when we started watching it. Hoist Gracie would come out and Ken Shamrock would come out and just fucking beat the fuck out of people. And Hoyce Gracie would just snap their legs, snap their arms. And I'm like, this is never going to amount to anything. This is super violent, beyond violent. You know, I come from boxing, but I never wanted to watch someone die. Like when Boomba Mancini killed Dooku Kim in the ring, beat him senseless, when we heard he died, that fucked me up. Because I love sports and I love competition and I love the Oakland Raiders and I love when they close line people. But I was never hoping for people to be You know, I scream about this one should die, that die. But, you know, those are superlatives. That's me hyping. In reality, I got the biggest fucking heart in the world. I don't want to see what people are. So when it started 28 years ago, I go, this is going nowhere. You know, I can't be any worse. It was like when people told me to buy Microsoft. And I'm like, that's fucking not happening. That's a fucking bomb. You know, I had like all the big stocks because people, because in the 90s, I was dealing with all superstars. I was dealing with every actor. I was dealing with congressmen, senators, vice presidents, soup to nuts in all walks of life. Because in the '80s and '90s, remember when you gambled, you were looked at, looked at, uh, you were looked down upon. So I had connections with everyone. They were giving me stocks, this and that, this and that. And they were like, "USC is going to be the biggest thing ever." I was like, "Oh, for five hundred, you know, like every I I should be worth literally ten billion dollars right now for doing nothing, doing nothing." People told me to bet. Invest a thousand or five thousand in certain things. I was losing a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand a day sitting next to Donald Trump when he was fucking married to Marla Maples, when he was first dating Marla Maples, cheating on his wife, got divorced, married Marla. So it was me, Donald Marla, at the fucking Taj Mahal, eating at his Scheherazade restaurant. You can't believe the highest ranking people in the world in any walks of life giving me tips, this and that, this and that. Fucking, all I had to do was listen. I didn't listen. But anyway, UFC, when uh, Hoist Gracie used to break people's arms and he used to walk out in this robe and then he, he would talk about like, you know, you'd have like five Hoist Gracies behind him. You'd have his grandfather, his uncle, his brother and they'd all be like, you know, then, you know, martial arts was like, almost like, um, best way I could describe it would be like a magician, but it was scary. Like I remember 1977, I fought this kid that knew karate, and I was really fucking scared of him that I was going to get kicked in the balls or kicked in the face. So I'll never forget it. I grabbed dirt when I was ready to fight the kid, and and I had a lot of fights in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, hundreds. Then there would be 30 people make a circle. You go in the middle, and once once somebody had a decided advantage, it was over. It was over. You didn't beat someone until they couldn't breathe. You didn't knife them. You didn't make them fucking choke on their own blood. You were not sending that person to the hospital. It was a fight. Once there was a decided edge, it was over. And then we started smoking pot, drinking beers, and becoming best friends. Okay? So I got in a lot of fights when I was a kid. And I was fighting this one kid with karate. And I was really fucking scared because this guy had a brown belt and, you know, like whatever. And I took dirt. I'll never forget it. And I threw it in his fucking face and I tackled him. And I had him on the ground and I just kept wailing on his fucking head until he said, stop, stop, all right, all right, all right. So that's how I dealt with karate people because obviously I was so, I was always scared of getting kicked in the balls because when I fought this one 10th grader, I was in seventh grade at the time, um, I threw my right hand, I missed and he kicked me right in the fucking balls. And I went down, grabbed my balls and he, he this is how it used to be. I was on, I was holding my dick, I was on my hands and knees crying, and he said, you got it, you had enough, and I went, yes, and that was the end of the fight, but after that fight, I always learned how to s- turn sideways, so you square up sideways, so my dick was not open to you, even though I never knew how to kick, and I'm still not a good kicker, and, uh, but uh, I was always a good fighter and a good wrestler, but I was always scared to get kicked in the ball, so when Hoist Gracie came out and just destroyed these fucking people, I said, First of all, whoever owns this is going to go to jail for murder because somebody's going to die in the rink. And then Ken Shamrock came from fucking the wrestling and he was a great wrestler. Those are the two that I remember. But um, it became such the biggest thing ever. I was so wrong. And I could have been involved with this. I could, have all part I could have really been there. But now watching it, I fucking love it. Can't get enough of it. Just can't get fucking enough of it. And uh, Conor McGregor has been so nice to us and so kind to us. And... His fucking whiskey's fucking great. So what I would say is that if you want to try something and you don't drink whiskey and you drink somebody else's whiskey, I don't give a fuck what the other whiskey is, Jameson, I would drink proper 12 whiskey. Out of respect for Conor, out of respect for Stu Finer, and out of respect for his, forget about the bullshit you hear about him and all the fucking hype and hyperbole. you know, his WWF shit, and he might've got all across the line and go over the line, and when he fights people, it's a show. It's a fucking show. The guy went from being a fucking plumber to be in the greatest entertainer, fighter ever, ever, ever. So, uh, yeah, that's just my two cents on proper 12 and Conor McGregor. So, uh, and and he, when, when's the first time you think you remember seeing Conor? Uh,
1: I mean, I followed him pretty much on his whole way up through the UFC. So, I mean, his whole career. But uh, I want to get back to your pocket sand. So, you threw sand in this guy's face? Yeah, I, dirt. Yeah, yeah.
0: Dirt in his face quick enough that he he
1: wasn't ready for it. I don't. I don't think people are ready for sand to the face. No, yeah.
0: dirt to the face. He That's was not, not ready for it, and I just tackled him. I tackled him, and I fucking just. I just got on him quick, and I wailed on him because, hey, bottom line is this: if you know karate, but sand's in your fucking face, they don't dirt's prepare in you for that, There's no belts, exactly, That's and I'm it. punching the fucking guy, and I have lightning quick hands. And in seventh, eighth, ninth grade. I, I was strong as a fucking, I have not grown since seventh grade, God fucked me, God fucked me, otherwise I'd be in the UFC, I would have been a fucking champion, I would have been a professional athlete, I have not grown since seventh grade, I've been the same strength and the same size since seventh fucking grade, which fucks, which sucks, I'm five, five five, I say I'm five four and three quarters because it just sounds funny, but really I'm five five, okay, and my dick is it was when I was thin. It was six and uh, a quarter. Now it's five and seven eighths. And it's and if I push my if I push back and I measure it because I do because I'm a psycho sick fuck because I always want my dick to work. I'm 61. I hope it works until I'm 91. Um, it's like six and an eighth right now. So since I've lost like 35 pounds, I've gained uh, a little better than a quarter inch. Nice. I love that story because it's a true story and uh, you know then people forever. Any time we fought they would they would say hands up because they would make sure that I wasn't holding anything in my so you were known hands. as a sand thrower. right exactly okay. it was it was an epic move it was great you know the, this guy the odds on that guy beating me in a true fight were a thousand and one he was gonna kill me I had no shot I had no prayer I was now, gonna did get you t-
1: now I need to get the visual yes did you clench your fists and have the dirt ready? So it looked like you were just throwing the Dukes up? or No, I had my hands
0: up my side. He never saw it. I, I underhanded, right? You underhanded. Underhanded. Really? underhanded, right? Because it was a lot of fucking sand. He was just looking at, he was He was, he was laughing. He was just going to kick me in the fucking head and knock me out. He was going to, you know, first of all, he was calling me kike, Jew boy, you know, Christ killer. You know, he went with that MO, which coming to a fucking Long Island, that's all I heard from 6th, 5th. 4th, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th grade, believe it or not. Most anti-Semitic fucking people ever on Long Island. They hated fucking Jews, hated them. And this guy hate, fucking hated Jews. He was like, you Christ killer, you kike, I'm gonna fucking kill you, yid, kept calling me. And I was just, I, I had one shot. You know, I, it was one shot. If it didn't work, we wouldn't be on this podcast right now because he might've put me in the hospital because he was looking to hurt me, you know, like really hurt me because it was like, you know, he was, first of all, he was like three years older than me. So can you imagine I beat so many people up that were three years older than me. I put them into shame land forever. I beat them so bad that when I was in ninth grade, they were in 12th and they could kill me. They didn't kill me because they remembered when I beat them up when I was in seventh, that was how significant it was. And then all through high school, I really had to watch my back because there were people I gave beatings to in seventh, eighth, ninth grade that should have killed me but I was able to talk my way out of it and I had the best drugs and I had all the first five rows to every concert. So, you know, I got away with murder. Got away
1: with good foresight in seventh grade. You just, you know, you didn't know you were going to start growing, but you put that work in early. Yes. Let them know, know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well done.
0: So, um, all right. I think that's good for today. I think we had enough. We gave everybody a lot. Pretty so you guys got a lot to chew on, and uh, you know, listen, like us, subscribe, okay? Like us, subscribe, put the fucking word out there, okay? Reviews. Put the word out. Leave a review. Leave a review, leave a fucking review, okay? I read them all, so personalize it to me, Stu Finer, personalize it to Alex Finer, leave a fucking review, like, subscribe, let's fucking go. I fucking love you. Let's get pumped. NFL Week 2. Sports Advisors Week 2. College Football Season 3. We got Joey Diaz Saturday night. We have love. Let's fuck. Let's eat ass. Let's lick Clint. Ready to roll. Ready to roll. Only stay.